Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Comfort Zone podcast. I'm your host, Joe Barksdale. Um, if I'm being honest with y'all, this is my third time trying this. I keep messing up. But hopefully we get it right this time. Um, to the first-time visitors as well as the repeat offenders, thank you guys so much for checking us out. This is a podcast that looks at mental health through the lenses of music, sports, and comedy or arts and entertainment. This is not a replacement for therapy. We will have therapists on here one day. Today's not that day. So if you feel something, say something. Um, you guys know me by now. We have a host, which means I'm going straight to the feelings wheel because I love doing interviews. Because y'all don't want to just hear me talk all the time. So, and I will talk about how the feelings wheel works for the first time. I guess you're technically the first guest that I've explained this to on the air. But more people need to hear it. So the feelings wheel starts from the inside out. There's what, one, two, three, four, five, six major emotions, happy, surprise, fear, anger, disgust, and sad. And then you can go from there into more detailed words. And then from those more detailed words and then even more detailed words. And that's how you can figure out how you feel, or at least that's how I figure out how I feel. All right, so let's go. I feel, I feel confident. I'm very confident that this uh, interview is gonna be fantastic. And I'm also confident in the, uh, plans that we're having moving forward. Um, I'll talk about those plans uh, probably at the end of this podcast because I don't want to spoil the guest. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, so I'll introduce you and then you tell us how you're feeling and then who you are and then we get into the conversation from there. We are going, we are winging it right now. All right. Um, This is actually my first in-person interview too. Michael is here in the studio with us. Um, One day it'll be more impressive. But... I'm very happy to have him. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Michael Burnett. Hey, I'm Michael Burnett, and today I am feeling uh, eager. I'm feel, it starts with surprise and excited and eager. I'm eager to, to talk, eager to listen back and judge myself when this is over, and eager to, uh, to enjoy this, this evening. For those of you who don't know, um, Michael is performing at a uh, by Misfit later this evening for three preteens in the greater Austin area. So it's one of my uh, biggest biggest gigs to date. <laughs> and if there's one group of people that my comedy connects with, it is generally speaking Jewish boys between ten to twelve. Um, once they once they get to like fourteen, fifteen, uh, the comedy doesn't really doesn't really connect like I want it to. That makes sense. Yeah, a little creepy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's start off with, uh, I like to start with like the surface level questions. How long have you been doing comedy and what got you into comedy in the first place? Sure. So I've been, uh, doing comedy and taking it seriously it's coming up on 10 years now. Um, I did it, I dabbled a little bit in, in college and when I first moved to, to LA, but wasn't really taking it serious. So I'd say I've been, been getting after it for about 10 years, um, and what got me into it was, of course, a love of comedy. I feel like most comedians come, come to it with, uh, for, from that starting point. But, but also, um, I went to theater school initially in college. Um, come to find out, I'm actually not a good actor. And so I needed a different outlet. Um, and I had a, a professor in college who, who like pushed me uh, to, to do this comedy contest on campus and I'd always loved it. And I said, well, if anyone's, you know, I'm, I'm never going to make myself do it. So if someone's going to like push me to do it, I might as well, might as well be the people pleaser that I am and make him happy. And so I did it. And that's how I started. 
Shout out to the people pleasing because if Michael had never been a people pleaser, we wouldn't know each other. But that's how life works. I'm done go. talking about the mysteries of the universe. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I understand why you started. What keeps you going now, like today? Uh, well, I, I'll never forget. I will never, as, as long as I live, forget the very first set that I did. Um, and it's, it's almost, it's like that first time, like you get stoned. And you're always chasing that, that that first time you like really got high. And you're like, man, I, I enjoy that. You're always kind of chasing that. So I feel like I'm always chasing this one feeling. Like the very first time I, I got on stage and told jokes and got my first big laugh, I had never felt anything like that, and was hooked instantaneously. Like called my mom as soon as I got off stage, and I was like, I found what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. Nice. And then it took me about five years after that to like really take it seriously and quit you know, messing around and partying too much. But, uh, but yeah, that's uh, what keeps me going is chasing that feeling. I, I just, I like each and every laugh and it's, you know, too late to turn back now. So, so, so you say it's addictive. Oh yeah. Comedy, comedy is addictive or the laughs are addictive. The, the laughs are addictive. Comedy itself sucks. Um, and I hate it, but the laughs are addictive. <laughs> uh, like the, the comedy grind itself is not addictive. The, the staying out all night, going to open mics, dealing with other comics, like being around, people when you just want to be home, that's not addictive, but the success, and, and, and when I say success, I just mean that that laugh, that reaction, that's, that's addictive, mm-hmm. that you, you just, you can't get that anywhere else, and so it's, uh, it's in my blood now. Michael Burnett with the comedy infection, ladies there and gentlemen. Go. There we go, I'm, con- I'm contagious. So. <laughs> so you were talking about like how there's nothing that fit, the high mm-hmm. that you would feel from a laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say comedy does for you and then like for the average, you know, just any comedian as far as uh, mental health is concerned, whether it's good or bad or both? Uh, well, yeah, on the good side, because uh, I think there's definitely two, two very clear sides to the mental health aspect of comedy. Um, on the good side, it allows us to, to connect. I feel like a lot of comics, if, 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 if they don't struggle with person-to-person interaction, they at least um, maybe aren't as, uh, I guess, open or friendly or um, outgoing as you might think. Uh, extroverts. Yeah, they're not, not every comic is an extrovert. I feel like most of us are kind of kind of turn internal. I mean, that's how we write. That's how we. That's why we sit down with a notebook and put our thoughts into a notebook versus saying it out loud like to our friends. Um, and so there, there's a positive aspect there where you get to get that, that interaction, that reaction that, that you need. And I, I feel like most comics are also, whether they admit it or not, um, egotistical enough to need that to feed their ego, to keep going. Um, and without it, then the ego kind of can manifest itself perhaps in other ways that maybe aren't healthy. Um, so there's a positive aspect. I just want y'all to know I don't have an ego. Oh, you are the most humble human being I don't have. <laughs> I've, ever, I've ever met. Um, but on the negative side, like when you don't get those laughs, when you're out all night and when you're drinking too much and when you're doing too, too many drugs and when you're out around people who are destructive, like most comics are, there is a, a really dark negative side to it as evidenced by the, the number of comedians that do end up killing themselves. Um, mm. and so there's, there you have, you have to, I feel like the laughs and the, and the successes, whether they're constant or few and far between, um, do help to kind of drive away that, that darkness. Cause once you, like once you get into this, you, you either quit pretty quickly, like you'll do it for a year or two maybe, 
or you're in it, you're never going to stop. And if you're never going to stop, you have to keep getting those laughs. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you are unfulfilled. You are failing in your own mind. And so, that's there's a positive, I think. To, to do you think that's mentally healthy? No, no, I don't. I don't think it is. Um, it's a comedy, like I said. It's, it's a destructive, oftentimes a destructive thing to do. Um, but it's that's. I mean, that's not true for everybody, of course. But I do feel that that there are some positives to uh, to getting out there, to being in front of people, to being around people who are doing what you're doing and understand why you're doing what you're doing. That creates a more positive environment for you, whether you realize it or not. When it comes to <clears throat> so when it comes to these mental health uh, conversations and so forth, and I've actually never asked this before. I guess this podcast is brand new. There's a lot of questions I never asked sure. before. What are as a comedian, are there like signs that you would say that you can see in like maybe a performance, you know, where someone you were, you know, like, oh, this person's not doing well, you know, maybe they need someone to check on them. Like, are those signs perceivable through people's performances? Uh, through performances, I, that's tough. Um, I think that you have the obvious example of somebody like you know screaming and breaking down on stage, but mm-hmm. you don't really see that very often. Mm-hmm. And I feel that so many comics are competent enough, whether they're incredibly funny or not incredibly funny, or still working on it or getting there or whatever, where most of us are competent enough to get on stage and do our act. And it might be darker than it was last night. It might be more positive than it was last night. Um, but I think it's really difficult to perceive that that person's in trouble from their act. I think it's the offstage stuff and the okay. isolation and the shutting down that, that we tend to overlook as comics because it is such a, um, such a selfish art form where it's just you. You've you, you got to get on stage. You've got to focus on what you've got to do. You know, I know person X and person Y over here didn't have a good set and they're upset. I can't focus on that right now, but I got to give them a fist bump and I got to go on stage. And so it's, it's difficult to perceive any kind of trouble on stage, but it's way, way more difficult to be cognizant of it as clear as it can be off stage because it requires you to stop focusing on yourself, which is what you have to do for stand up, and turn your attention to someone else and give them the time, the question, the, the, you know, just the, the being there that they might need, but that requires you to do something that you're not there to do, which is to be selfish and be on stage and do your thing. I dig that. What do you, um, what am I trying to say when it comes to, so you were talking earlier about being in dark places and so forth. When it comes to like your writing process, like how would you describe your comedy? Because like everybody's comedy is a little different. Like, how would you describe yours? Um, my well, it's it's changing now. Um, I was I had a, a a manager for a few years who tried to mold me in a certain way that was kind of mean, kind of um, uh, like he said. He he told me you look like you're rich when you're on stage, so act like a dick, act like a rich dick. Because the audience, I used to do a lot of material about being poor, uh, and they're like they don't believe you because of the way you look. And so I tried for a long time to be mean, to be um, not condescending, but to like to kind of find jokes that were making fun of someone intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I try to be much more, much lighter, much more because I'm, I'm not a mean person. Yeah, Mike's not Mike's not a mean person. I'm not dark. I'm not like I'm 
a golden retriever. I'm always happy. I'm always like ready to, to like give someone a, you know, a hug or whatever. Um, and so rarely do I ever get like down or into a dark place. So my comedy is, or lately I'm, I'm trying to make it more, um, weird or like, uh, upbeat with a twist or calling something out without being wildly negative. Mm-hmm. But I was in that, in that mode for so long, I find that to be really difficult. So that's my writing process. I guess my comedy style now is attempting to become a little bit more, um, approachable, a little bit more friendly. And that's what he's going to be working on at that bar mitzvah later on this evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is a <laughs> that set that I read. That's actually it's going to be very dark. It's going to be upsetting. Those kids are not going to not going to be the same when they walk you out. Kids want to talk about Passover. Let's talk about it. <laughs> that makes sense. So when it comes to so I'm get, I mean you're saying that like you know a lot of if not all of your material is like very unique to you. What would you say is the difference between a comedian? Because obviously there's a bunch of different kinds of comedians, but I find that there's either comedians who have like personal stories or material, you know, that they pull from, and then you have people who sound more like the funny pages, Mm -hmm. you know, um, a lot more topical, a lot more like trying to point things away from yourself. What would you say the difference between those two comics are? Like in terms of... Let's start with mental, not stability, but mental health. Like, would you, which one would you say takes more, like, of a mentally healthy person to do? Um, I think the obvious answer, the mentally healthy person, would be the one who's doing like topical jokes and things. Okay, like that. but yeah. I think that's wrong. Yeah, I think I think it takes a much more mentally healthy person to mine their own stories, to dig deep, and to find things to talk about in a way that is palatable to an audience that is still unique to you that still brings up perhaps your own trauma or your own things that you that you that you've dealt with um, and you it's 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 hard to do that not impossible but it's hard to do that if you're not in a good mental place because like digging that deep of course can bring up those feelings you don't want to talk about or don't want to think about and so i think the yeah the more mentally healthy ones are the ones that do talk about the more personal things and the ones that are um, maybe if not less mentally healthy, at least less willing to, to get there yeah, would it, be the topical ones because that's a little bit, um, the materials right in front of you with the topical stuff. You, mm-hmm. you have to pay attention and you got to be able to find something funny about this subject, that subject, this recent thing, that recent thing, but it doesn't require you to, to, to like look inside yourself. Um, and when it comes to making comedy personal, making it your own, making it unique to you, that's, much harder to do with topical stuff because everybody can see a, a, a news item and try to make a joke on it. Mm-hmm. But nobody can talk about that time that your dad peed on you. <laughs> Only you could talk about that. Only you could talk about that. You and your therapist. Right. Um, do you have any... Because obviously, I think people... One of the things that have people in awe of like performers, especially comedians, is that you're up there by yourself. A lot of people's greatest fear is to speak in front of people publicly and like it's what you do time and time again. Mm-hmm. Do you have any like pre-show, I wouldn't call them rituals, but like you know how like people have, well, I call them rituals. Yeah. So like yeah. how people have pre-game rituals, do you have pre-show rituals? I do, yeah. Um, like we were talking earlier, I um, no matter if it's a, a 45 minute set or a 8 to 10 minute set, I have to manually write down the title or the keyword of a joke on a piece of paper 
or on the notes app of my phone before I go on stage. I can't, for some reason, as long as I've been doing it, if I don't do that, I cannot remember anything when I got on stage. I can do like the opening bit that I had planned to do anyway, but then beyond that, my brain just won't, um, without that ritual, has a hard time like locking into its go time now. So I do that. Um, and then the, the old ritual used to be three or four beers um, before the show would start. But now it's just one. There you go. I mean, you always hear people talk about that, like, you know, like people getting inebriated before they get on stage and so forth. I'm a firm believer in moderation. Like, I feel like as long as you can moderate what you're doing is because that's when you start talking about, like, you know, people having addictions or disorders when it's like too little or too much of something. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I've never not granted. I've never been that person. Is that how you started off comedy? Like with the with the beers? Like oh, God, yeah. your first time yeah. on stage? Yeah, it was it was um, like like every comic. It was a nerves thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I wanted to to just calm down a little bit. But then it became. OK, I want to buzz a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then it became okay. No, I, I want to. I, I would like to be drunk when I'm on stage. I dig that. Um, Have you ever been so drunk you don't remember what you said on stage? No, like I called a guy the N word. Yeah, week. that's no. no I, I remember. I remember that. That was <laughs> that continually happens. <laughs> that happens every night. No, that's no. I I've never been so drunk that I could not remember what I said, but I have been so drunk that like when I got off stage, that that next beer when I got off stage. Now I'm like browned out. Now there's like holes in my memory when I wake up. I've never blacked out from like during a during a, a performance night, if you want to call it that. Uh, I blacked out plenty of other times, mm. but um, yeah. But once like it's it's always that as soon as I get on stage, going right to the bar, that beer is the one where I'm like, okay, now I'm not gonna remember the next thirty minutes, and then an hour from now, and then two hours after that, and so so yeah. But never on stage itself. Okay. When it comes to, um, <laughs> I just thought of so so. What would you say? And I'll give my answer first because sometimes I don't know. I like to answer questions first to make it more comfortable. Mm-hmm. What is the drunkest you've ever been at a comedy show? And I had a great question for you after that too, but I'm gonna ask you that one first, and I'll okay. tell you mine. Okay, what's yours? Drunkest I've ever been at a comedy show was actually two weeks ago. When I went to the Joe Rogan and Tony Hitchcock <laughs> show downtown, <laughs> I was. Uh, <laughs> for those of y'all that don't know, I struggle with mental illness. Oh, <laughs> um, I don't know. Like I just remember. So I'm I'm very new to comedy. Like I'm nowhere near like on Mike's level in terms of experience and cred- credentials. I was about to say credit credibility credentials, but yeah, the credentials that mixture of credibility and credentials. Yeah, but like I and maybe it's the autism. I see people on stage, and the only thing I can think like unless it's a friend of mine or for someone I know personally. Like I remember when I went to see Roy Wood Jr. Like, you know, I knew him personally. I've been following Roy Wood Jr. since he was doing prank calls back when I was in college. Like, I was very happy. Mm-hmm. But 90% of the time, I'm looking up on stage like, what do I have to do to be there? And so sometimes to curb those feelings, I have a double margarita. Sure. Yeah. I feel that. <laughs> I feel that. Or five. I had like four or five. Went outside to vomit. Came back in order <laughs> two more. <laughs> 
I was so miserable. <laughs> Throw it up. Like, now I'm all right. Now I'm all right. Okay. Like, I remember, you Two know, more, Genevieve, the comedian? Yeah. I booked Genevieve, if you're listening, I appreciate you. I booked Genevieve on a show right before I, uh, so I have a right show. Right before you walked out to vomit? <laughs> right before I walked she out was to like, vomit. She was like, oh, him booking me made him so sick. He went outside. <laughs> oh, no, she didn't know. That's the thing. <laughs> it was like super cool. Like, I can hold it together. So I was like, yeah, Genevieve, very happy. To-. For those of y'all who don't know, Genevieve is a comedian. We'll have her on the show one day. She's from Detroit. She actually went to my neighborhood high school for three years. No um, yeah, Mumford. Um, I don't know why I said that like you would know where Mumford was. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm talking to her and I'm like, yeah, I'd love to have you on the show. I can't wait. And I started walking out the door. I'm like, I'll be right back. I think I left something in the car. I walked out the door, turned left. There was a homeless person that was coming across the street. And I just, <laughs> and he's like, that's right. Get the poison out of you, brother. I'm like, wow, what a, <laughs> what a supportive homeless community. Like, <laughs> but yeah, that was, that's the drunkest I've ever been in a comedy show. And I mean, in an effort to be open and honest, and I'll tell y'all this, we are recording this. This is the first in-person recording that I've ever done on the uh, podcast. And I couldn't figure out how to get two microphones recording in a logic at the same time. If you can help me, hit me up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we may have to record this again, but I'm about to say some really deep shit. But I'll say it again if we have to record it again. Like, And I mean, Mike knows this because he's a really good friend of mine, but like... When things don't work out for me that I want to work out, when there's disappointments and things like that, I will start with acknowledging that I have unrealistic expectations. But at the same time, I would also acknowledge that I haven't met a comedian that's like me either. So are they unrealistic or I don't know. We're not not here to talk philosophy. The point is, I wanted to be on stage. I felt like I could be on stage. So I was trying to drink that feeling away. It kind of worked. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, yeah. yeah. I know that it's hard not to say when you're watching a show, I want to be right there. I should be right there. Um, and yeah. So, yeah, you have to, you have to figure out a way to, so, to, to fight that feeling, but there's, it, that's easier said than done. It was my understanding that most mentally, and I could be wrong, so you can correct me. It was my understanding, because you consider yourself mentally healthy, right? I'd say like, so. Absolutely not. Yeah. No, no I'd, I'd, I'd say, I'd say I'm lucky in that regard. Yeah. So I would argue that like the mentally healthy response would be, I'm going to be up there one day, right? Like making it more of an affirmation yeah. as opposed to like, right. I, I want that. Right. An affirmation as opposed to a, like a, an, like a, um, uh, an indictment of self. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would say that that would probably be the healthier way to, to look at it. But, and I, and I also would say that I, um, probably lean that way more than the, then why is he up there? I should be up there kind of, kind of way, or I'm not sense. good enough to be up there. I, I, I usually lean towards the one day kind of thing. And that's why Mike has so many more shows than me. Well, but, but like, that doesn't mean I don't, I don't like drink those feelings away as I'm like telling myself that I'm optimistic when I'm not actually listening to myself. Uh, you know what I mean? I think sometimes when it comes to that, like, because I've been thinking a lot about that re- recently, like, uh, feelings versus, like emo I don't know how to explain it like uh sometimes things are feelings before their emotions I'm sorry sometimes things are choices before their feelings so like how you just said like you chose you would choose to be positive and make that decision um do you first of all do you even believe in that that like how do what am I trying to say we're all like we're almost there I can feel it like they say it in church, like faith is a choice before it's a feeling or it's an action before it's a feeling. Do you think that there are certain things that you have to condition yourself into 
feeling. Like, for example, conditioning yourself to not be pissed off when you see someone else on stage. Yes. And instead, like... Yes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, you have to... That Because I feel like that does not come easily, especially when considering uh, an art form like like comedy. Like, you go to see... When you first start out, right, when you, or when you're first interested in it, you can watch it at a live show on TV or whatever and just be excited to be there. Be like, man, one day I'd love to be up there too. Mm. But then there comes a switch, especially when you're in like your first or second, third year, where you've learned how to do it, you know what you're doing, you have had good shows, so you know you're not like barking at the wrong tree, you're actually pretty good at this. You, but you also know you need some more seasoning, mm. right? But you can't get the seasoning unless you get up there on stage. And so you, for the first few years, and I, I did struggle with this the same, the same way for like the first five or six years, really, where it's like, not necessarily, man, fuck that guy, I want to be up there, but, um, but that, that feeling of, why am I not up there? Like, I'm angry because I'm not up there. I dig um, and it, it, it's a choice and it is a, it's a hard thing to, to teach yourself or to, or to, to learn that you can, you can, you can want to be up there, but be optimistic about it, be happy for what's happening and remit, like remind yourself that there is room for all of us and mm-hmm. we can all get there. And just because somebody else is on stage does not mean that they have taken your spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but that takes some, that takes some learning that takes some, um, some work, some work. And, and that also takes some, uh, drugs, some, some hard, hard drugs. <laughs> I think it, it takes, it takes, um, weirdly enough, I think it takes some, uh, uh, some little bits of like seeing your peer group succeed when you haven't yet. Yeah. Or maybe you got a little success and somebody else got a little bit more. Mm. Um, and when you see that happening, and but then you all still come together and hang out after the show, whatever, you realize that it's okay. It's not taking anything away from you. Mm. It's still going to happen as long as you keep doing what you have to do versus I can't believe so-and-so's up there. Should have been me. Mm. I suck. Everything is wrong. Um, but that, I mean, that's not, there, there's no way to learn that until you learn it. That makes sense. That makes you can't sense. just force it on yourself. You have to go through it. You have to see it happen. You have to learn it. And you have to constantly, constantly remind yourself of that until it becomes more of a habit than a, than a choice that you have to make. That makes sense. Choices become habits. Mm-hmm. In good ways and bad ways. In good and bad ways. Because you're right. Like, I... I would say, like, when I'm, I'm just picturing myself seeing a comedian on stage, like, I'm not, like you said, I'm more of the, like, I'm mad that I'm not up there in my mind. I think right. I'm not right. doing something right to be up there. Um, but I'm never, like, not necessarily, like, oh, fuck this dude. I'm better than this guy. Um, the only time. I feel that occasionally. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say, <laughs> the only time I do feel that way is when it's a bad comedian. Right. Like, if it's someone that's just doing terrible, it's like, bro, you're wasting everybody in here's time. Right. Like, and right. then that's always the comedian that gets off stage, like, oh, weird crowd tonight. Like, no, no nope. one ever laughs at the nope. chubby jokes. No, nope. like, it's you, buddy. It is this, you. It's you. There's no one making chubby jokes. I just had to throw a. Uh, <laughs> that's. A, a, I, gotta, I gotta do five minutes on, on chubs. <laughs> on chubs. Chubbies. Are we talking about shorts or the things inside of them? Anyway. Yeah, right. But yeah, like I, I find that that's that's how I've always seen it. Like even at open mics, like if it's a good comedian, that's like you know, oh, okay, cool. I'm sitting, I'm learning that kind of thing. 
But if it's a bad comedian and it's like, okay, and this is coming from an autistic side, are you not self-aware enough to know that you are bombing right, <laughs> right now? Right, like, right, right, right. You know, but that that would that that's what it is for me. Like it's, I, mean, it's just, I don't know. It's the same way with anything. Like if you know, if you're good, yeah, I'll watch you. Hey, good job, all that kind of shit. But if you, yeah. I don't know. I think in my mind, I think in my autistic brain, because things are either are or they aren't. And in my mind, like, if you don't do a good job, that means you didn't prepare. That means right. you didn't take people's advice. Right. Like, comedy, I mean, the, the proof is right there, you know. Um, that's one thing that annoys me, though. Comedians that continue to bomb, and then they'll be like, oh, I don't know what's up with this crowd. This crowd. Yeah, this, this is the is, 16th crowd. Yeah. You know? yeah, I've seen you do this over and over and over. <laughs> I mean, what? but that's interesting, though, because... At a, to, to a point in comedy, you either have it or you don't. So there is the, like you're talking about, there is the... So you don't think the people can learn to be funny. Of it. Uh, I think you, you either understand like timing and what is funny and um, how to present something in a humorous manner. That I think you're kind, to a point, you're kind of born with that. Okay. You can learn how to do stand-up. You can learn how to be on stage for 10 minutes, for 30 minutes, for an hour. That will all come. But I, I do think that there is um, some sort of element of you either have it or you don't. Um, so like if there was a comedy combine, there wouldn't be like many drills. It would just be like... It's, it's one drill. Audience. All the scouts are there. It's just one drill. And everyone does the exact same drill. And I some people will complete the drill much quicker than others. Mm -hmm. And some people will complete, complete the drill much slower than others, but everyone that completes the drill understands the drill. And then people that can't don't even complete, complete the drill don't have it. Okay. Um, Comedy Combine, coming 2023. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> invites are coming. Keep a look on your, in, in your mailbox. Invites are coming via uh, US mail. It's going to be paper invites. Handwritten in blood. In <laughs> Like, whoa, this comedy thing seems Jeez, pretty I, serious. I, it seems like I have to be there now. He's going to kill me. <laughs> well, I'd show up. No, I, I, I'd show up. That's all. I'd be there. It's, you know? it's in blood. It looks serious. <laughs> so, when you, so obviously, and you've already alluded to it a couple of times, like as a comedian, you're always like, not necessarily saying something, but words are coming out of your mouth as you're mm -hmm. on stage. I feel like really good comedians have a message. I'm not sitting here saying what the message is makes you a good comedian, but you have something that you want to say. Right. That being said, Michael Burnett, the comedian that started, like when you first started taking comedy seriously versus today, like what did that comedian have to say and what do you have to say now? That, so that is kind of what separates the, 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 the good from the, okay, that's kind of funny. Um, the, 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 com the, the comedian in myself that started 10 years ago just wanted to get a laugh, just wanted to, to be up there and be funny. And if the laugh didn't come, man, that really hurt. Right. Mm -hmm. And I do think I'm not special. I'm not that good. And so for most comics like myself, it takes about 10 years to really find your voice, your point of view. Um, and whether it's message or point of view or whatever you want, whatever you want to, you want to call it, um, honing in on that super specific thing that makes you and what you're saying unique, um, has taken me a long time to, to get to. Um, 
And I don't know if I could put it into words just, just right now, but I do think that I'm getting closer. And I think a lot of that has to do with the changing of my style mm-hmm. on stage and not being so um, mean on stage, not trying to be a dick because that's not who I am. And so really taking, like, taking into account who I am, how I am in the day-to-day, and bringing that to the stage and being light, being weird, being funny, being inviting. Not being yourself. Being myself. Um, and so I haven't, I'm, I'm not quite there yet, but I, I, I feel like I'm getting closer and closer. That makes sense, though. Like, because it sounds, I mean, as I'm listening to your answer, it sounds like at the beginning of your career you were doing or what you had to say was what you thought that you were supposed to have exactly. to say, as opposed to now. Exactly right. you like, That's, yeah. this is who I am. Yeah. And even before, like I told that story about the, the manager guy that tried to mold my, my voice, even before that, I was kind of telling jokes in, uh, in, in ways that I thought they were supposed to be told. Mm-hmm. In ways that, you know, and, and every comic is, is you know, inspired by people they find funny, and so you kind of try to mold yourself after them, whether you realize it or not. But I was definitely trying to tell someone else's joke, my, like my own joke in someone else's style mm-hmm. and someone like and what I thought was supposed to be funny because that's what was on TV right now or that's mm-hmm. what was on stage at the store right now. Who's um, talking about the comedy store for those of y'all that don't know. It's right. a place where they sell comedy. They sell, they sell comedy. You can buy it there. Mm-hmm. Um, the leaders. But... Um, but no, but, but that actually brings up an interesting point though because I was for the first eight years of my career really at this comedy store more or less every single night mm-hmm. um, watching I'm not jealous no you shouldn't be it was I'm, I'm it very was jealous um, it, was, it was I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world but it was um, it, there, were, there were so many unbelievable comics back to back to back to back to back that I, I think that I was telling one joke in one style one joke in a different style one joke in a different style back to the first style and then like not there was no clear Okay, this guy is doing his own thing right here. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people recognize that in themselves way earlier than I did, but uh, it took me a long time to get out of that kind of mold. That makes sense. Because even as you're talking about that, I remember when I first like started writing jokes, I was trying to be like Richard Pryor. I was trying to be angry like you know Dave Chappelle, mm-hmm. vindicated Dave Chappelle. But how can you not, though? That's what you think is funny, and that's what you want to tell. Because that makes you laugh. No, 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 no. I mean, from a standpoint of like, you would have shown up like, oh, this guy's really in the prior, I see. Like, that kind of <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, he's freebasing on stage right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> he is committed to the bit. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is, this is committed. This guy's going places. He's going numbers. to the hospital. He's on fire. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, do you think that that's something that like, because I would say like, do you think that's something that all artists deal with? Because I, what you're talking about from your comedy, I didn't have that. I didn't have it as much with comedy, but I did have it with music. Where like my first album, which isn't even out anywhere anymore, um, is me trying to be who I. And honestly, the second one too is me trying to be who I thought I was supposed to be. Whereas now, like it's more me telling my story in my own mm-hmm. voice. Do you think that most artists go through that? Uh, it's, uh, it's it's weird if you don't. I think. Okay. I think uh, there are um, some, like a select few, who just kind of lock into themselves and understand themselves really early in their artistic process. Um, like we were talking about Gerard in the car earlier. Like he mm-hmm. 
from or like early, early on, just was him, just knew himself, just was himself, and it was apparent on stage. Um, but I think ninety five percent of us spend so many years, and we, you have to go through it. Like if you like if you don't get it immediately, you can't force it. You have to go through it. I feel. Um, and you have to change your style and mold yourself and listen to that and listen to this and, you know, adapt that joke and change it around. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's like I said, like 95% of us start out doing what we think other people want to hear because that's what we want to hear mm. to a point. Like we think this is funny or that artist is funny or that, that performance is funny. I want to tell jokes like that. Um, and, and that person got this whole crowd to laugh. That must mean that all crowds want to hear that from everybody. Mm-hmm. And so you don't really understand how to do your own thing until you've done it and it kind of comes. And you're like, okay, there it is, kind of. There it is, kind of. Now it's better. Now it's better. And, and like I said, like I've you know, been doing this shit for 10 years. Um, and I'm, I, I truly feel like I'm just now getting to the point where I'm like, I, I know I can tell this joke like I want to tell it. That's like true. The thought fully forms now in a way that I want it to be. If that makes sense. I want to ask you, <clears throat> so with the satisfaction, and I'm guessing that you feel the satisfaction now of like, like you said, like stepping into who you are and your voice and that kind of thing. Do you ever get mad about like, because I'm guessing you were with this manager that you were talking about for years. Mm-hmm. Do you ever get mad at yourself? Like when you think about like how long you were with that manager or like, I mean, yes and no. Um, I'm I'm very grateful for the. Okay, wait. Of, look, sorry, the, that question was half formed. What I'm saying is like when you you realize it now that like oh I'm getting my story out. I'm saying what I want to say. Is there ever a part of you that as you realize that it's like that son of a bitch had you know like I could have been here five years earlier or that kind of thing. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, because I. Um. I'm not saying he's a son of a bitch. I don't even know who the guy no, is. Nice guy. Great guy. Okay. Um, great guy. Uh, was always very nice to me. Um, but I uh, am a people pleaser naturally. Mm. And I am, like I said, like a golden retriever. So if you tell me something, especially when I was younger, I was like, yeah, that's whatever you say is good. I don't have my own thoughts and feelings. I don't, what, I, what I believe doesn't really matter. You know what you're talking about because you've had success uh, according to what I've seen. So that means that what you're telling me must be the truth. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not so much, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm upset with him for the advice that he gave me because everything that happens, you know, teaches you something more upset with myself for not being confident enough to say, no, that's not right. That's not who I am. And what brought you, what drew you to me is what you saw before you said that. And so changing yeah. that so drastically and making me force or, 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 you know, making me think that I, that I had to be something like that, um, what is, I'd say 20% on him, 80% on me not saying, okay, I feel that. And that's a valid point that you're, that what, what you're bringing up, I can take some of that, mm-hmm. but I'm still going to do my own thing. And I feel like there is a strength in, in artistry and a strength in knowing yourself as an artist to be able to um, hear things like that from someone who is, by all accounts, very qualified to say what he just said, and hear it, process it, and be like, "Okay, cool," but no, 
Yeah, because there's millions of stories of qualified people who have been wrong. Totally. totally. Yeah. But I just I, I was so eager to have any kind of like professional possibilities come my way. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to like upset the apple cart. I didn't want to to make him think that I was disrespecting him and then the relationship is over. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't know myself enough to say what I should have said in a way that preserved the relationship. And we could have been working just fine. Mm-hmm. And success might have actually happened had I, you know, so there's some regret there, but it's more on myself than it is for, for, for him. I dig that. I mean, I have a saying all the time, like, if it ain't a blessing, it's a lesson. Totally. Which makes it a blessing. I mean, it, it's easy to say that shit now when we're sitting here in a podcast. Yeah, when you look back to, on it eight yeah. years ago, whatever it was, like, that's, that's different. But, like, but yeah, um, that, that I, I also know that I could not have been or said what I needed to say at that time because I truly did not know myself enough. I was not um, in a place... Uh, and this then this goes back to, and, and that's sort of the work I've done on myself. Like um, my whole childhood was spent like trying to please my dad, mm-hmm. and that's all that mattered was making sure that he wasn't upset. And that manifested itself in this like doormat kind of personality, where whatever you said was totally fine. My thoughts and feelings don't matter. Um, and so it took some work to to get to the point where I'm totally fine telling you that I don't agree, and here's why. And that doesn't mean that you're angry with me. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that I'm in trouble now. So, but that took some work to get there for sure. So what advice, and this will be my last question. Uh, we can cut the search lights off now. We're actually in an interrogation room. Yeah, this, this is, is very no. scary. <laughs> I'm sweating. I'm smoking a cigarette. It's not. We can cut the AC back on. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who is because obviously you know i hate when people always say like oh we all have problems you never know what anyone's going through and then they just walk away mm-hmm. like well can we at least you know get an not an answer but like a way a solution to some to we don't do enough yeah we don't do enough like teaching each other everything's very like surface level right so i say that to say and this is the last question when it comes to someone that you would see that may be in that mental space that you were in now like what would you what advice would you give them? What would you say to them? Um, I'll say what some what I wish someone had said to me, which is not telling them what to say or mm. what they should have said, but instead being like, why did you say that like that? Or why did you approach that like that? Let's explore that. And if no one, if you're in the position or whatever, and you are, you know, let's say you, you handle something like I described me handling it. Um, I wish, I wish someone would have kind of set me down and, and kind of just asked why and mm-hmm. not said, okay, here's the answer, but instead, why, why did you approach it that way? Why did you not push back? Why did you accept it at face value? Um, and explore that within yourself. Be okay when you're like, understand that it's okay to question yourself. It's okay to wonder why you made a decision without, like there, there's a way to do it without getting upset at yourself. Mm. You know, and that there's, there's a way to, um, or not, I don't wanna say there's a way to, but like I, I, the, the advice that I would have is be okay exploring yourself, knowing that you don't have to be upset with yourself. You don't have to be happy with the decision. You don't have to be, um, 
you don't have to find that right or wrong answer right there, but be okay questioning yourself. Like um, objective self-observation? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, whether that's you know, digging deep to your childhood or whether that's just saying, okay, you know, I was at a, a like taking a, a one-off example, like I was at, uh, you know, let's say, let's say I was at a restaurant and somebody cut in front of me in line or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I got really angry, even though it only added 30 seconds to my my day, like question, like, why do you get angry? What, what brought up the anger? Mm. Why, like, why did you react that way? And is there something that you could have done that brings about a different reaction within yourself, not outwardly, but within yourself? Like know that, know that it's okay to question that and question all the decisions that you make, not from a, I'm an idiot standpoint or I'm, I'm right. And there is no question standpoint, but just, just take it, just take a second and, and think about it. Just re-examine it and you might come to the exact same conclusion you might have the exact same response mm-hmm. but what one thing i never did was was like question yeah it's like okay yeah it's, it's uh, i didn't get in trouble so i'm so it's okay yeah as opposed to like you said taking it through a process of right thinking that makes right. sense right just be okay with with questioning yourself knowing that you don't have to question yourself with the intention of regretting something or the intention of confirming a decision just asking questions just just be okay with 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 asking yourself you know why hmm. i don't that's know if that's a rambling advice. answer to something but nah that's i mean honestly those are the answers that are usually the best ones the short ones don't ever change lives well, i mean but I mean? that's i guess just in, from a personal like that's what i think i think would have helped me the most if just just questioning and either finding an answer or or, or being okay with the answer that, that was already given. So, Ladies and gentlemen, obviously you'll be back, whether he wants to or not. Ladies and gentlemen, Shit. that's been Michael Burnett on the Comfort Zone. Really appreciate you coming through and dropping those. <clears throat> What's the word I'm looking for? They call them jewels. You dropped a lot of jewels in this conversation. I just want you to know that. So I love that. I want to pick those up on the yeah, way Yeah, no, they're very heavy. <laughs> but yeah, no, nah, there was a lot of good information. And it's always cool to see, like, yeah, it's always cool to see how people who aren't me think, which is one of the reasons I started this show in the first place. So That's great. I'm selfish. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, that's been Michael Burnett. Thank you so much for coming through, Mike. And um, yeah, um, thank you guys for listening. And thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.